Chuck Norris does not own a stove, oven, or microwave because revenge is a dish best served cold. We're talking Invasion USA. Hit it. It was 1985. A U.S. postage stamp cost 22 cents. A volcano erupted in Armero, Colombia. Terrorist gunmen shot passengers at Rome and Vienna airports. And Chuck Norris was a one-man anti-terrorist machine at Christmas time. I'm your host, Jerry D., with another episode of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, we got it covered. Joining me is a very special guest. You'll know him as the host of the Film Strip podcast, Ron Hogan. Ron, how's it going? Jerry, it is going great. Right I'm, on. Thr- I'm thrilled to be able to talk about this movie. <laughs> this is a good one, man. <laughs> I'm glad you brought this to my attention because it had been like decades since I had seen this one. And I'd completely forgotten about it until you mentioned it. It is, it is 100% one of the most... 80s things that has ever been put <laughs> uh, caught in any media and i'm including like frank zappa's valley girl i'm including the movie valley girl this is more eight this is probably the most 80s yeah. it's just a few um neon uh it's it's just a, like some neon zubaz or some uh <laughs> leg warmers short of just hitting the trifecta yeah i i agree there it uh it's like classic canon you know just just canon films and i mean everybody knows the canon story uh you know um Menachem Golan and and uh, what's his name Globus and i mean it's Storm just Globus that's it yeah and i mean it's literally like like them I, I don't think it gets more canon than this movie especially at in this time period and it's awesome i love this movie <laughs> i mean now yes it does have some flaws but i mean overall it's just it's i remember seeing it at the video store, like every Friday night when we'd go and always wanting to rent it, but it was always gone like every time. And Mm -hmm. so I don't think I saw it till about 91 or so. And then uh, from there, I, I mean, it's literally, like I said, it's been about 30 years since I'd seen it again. So I'm glad you brought it back to my attention because I'd completely forgotten about it. (laughs) Well, um, uh, over at film strip, we got on a, um, we actually covered this one. Uh, we got into a bit of a one of the things I brought to film strip when I first joined film strip was a love of terrible canon movies. <laughs> yeah. So we got on board with um, Enter the Ninja, Revenge of the Ninja, Ninja oh, Three: The Ninja Domination, 3. Yeah. Uh, Invasion USA, um, Avenging Force, the sequel in name only, but Quasi, also the yeah. same character name, where you <laughs> swap out Chuck Norris for Michael Dudikoff. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, American Ninja, all like five or six of those movies, uh, yeah. So uh, it was a, it was kind of a, it was a, one of the things I brought to the podcast, and one of the things I hope to continue with the podcast is that love of uh, Golan and Globus in all their 
coked up insanity. <laughs> That's probably the best way to say it. You, you know, it's 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 funny that you mentioned that this is the most canon movie that mm-hmm. has possibly been made because during the production, uh, I want to say uh, Menachem Gol- Golan called Joseph Zito while he was shooting it. He was thinking, oh, he's they're going to fire me. They're going to mm-hmm. tell me I need to cut the budget because it's canon and they just <laughs> and they that's do. Yep. But he, he had been watching the dailies and he loved what he saw so much. He was like, here's two million extra dollars. Blow some more stuff up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love how they, they used like, uh, uh, they found a lot of ways to, to get what they needed cost effectively. I mean, that's, again, that's like typical canon. So like when, um, you know, when Rostov is blowing up, you know, that neighborhood, you know, I mean, the neighborhood was set to be demolished anyway. So, um, Hey, yeah, go have fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, for the expansion of uh, Hartsfield Airport, I believe. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, and, and they oh, literally just gave them the permission to blow up a cul-de-sac, and it, it's and it it's really one of the most effective, uh, like one of the most effective Christmas scenes in the movie, and it's mm-hmm. one of the most effective like just scenes period in the movie because there's just so many little touches. Like mm-hmm. these people are literally just going about their day, like kissing their girlfriend in the, the, the parked car, mm-hmm. the little girl and her brother are fighting over who gets to put the star on the tree, you know, so on and so forth. And Rostov and Nico are there with the law rocket mm-hmm. and they're just waiting. And Rostov's like, hold it, hold it. And he waits until the little girl runs into the house. Inside, yeah. Then he shoots and blows up the house. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, and you know, I mean, I know we're both dads and that, that got me this time watching it again. I was like, <gasps> I mean, just thinking about like not being able to protect my daughters. I mean, I, that got me as a dad for sure. I, I, I was just out of my mind with that. Like, Oh no, this guy got to die. And of course, Chuck Norris delivers. <laughs> he does so masterfully. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, that one, that one isn't the one that gets me. What gets me is the one where it's the later on in the movie where the family is like skulking to sneak into the church. Oh yeah. And they're just kind of like the dad and the mom and the child are just kind of huddled together and like creeping through the streets of um, Atlanta or Miami. I'm not sure where it is. At that, I don't at remember. That point. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter. <laughs> no. Um, it's creeping through the streets uh, with the national guard everywhere, just trying not to be like, jumped by terrorists or shot by mistake by the national guard it's it's uh that one kind of hit home for me as well as some of the um the rioting and food shortages that they talk about uh what with uh covid and the summer of covid and all yeah yeah this was a timely movie i think um you know it's funny because i and i i guess i'm getting ahead of myself but essentially what the plot of the movie is that terrorists invade us although it's it's not really like a strict invasion it's more like um more subtle you know where they just kind of take over and it's like a secret invasion i guess and essentially chuck norris tries to stop them and i know rostov was was uh i mean he's known for or in the movie he's known for like sowing dissent and unrest and and that kind of a uh, civil um uprising kind of a thing and so he essentially does that. I mean, they get they get their terrorists to dress as cops and and you know gun down some. Uh, I, were they Cubans? I think. Um, yeah, it was a bunch of Cubans having a Christmas party at a community center. Yeah, I mean, and and then they just take off. You know, they leave like one one or two guys alive, 
And then, you know, they just take off and then the real cops come. And of course they're like all <laughs> the Cubans are all upset because uh, naturally, I mean, uh, but yeah, it's like they, a lot of these kind of things where they just go in and, and just blow up a thing unsuspectingly. It's not like an actual full blown, you know, Normandy style invasion, uh, which is what I rem- was kind of had it in my mind. Like that's what it was. I'd, I'd misremembered a whole lot of things about it. And I, I remember them, that whole scene where they like just stormed the, you know, the beach. And for some reason, I, um, I don't know why I, like that part stuck out, but I expected more of that. And yeah, it's not really that. It's more of like the, you know, that that sewing descent kind of like terrorism. the uh, the French Resistance or uh, partisan uh, partisans in the Eastern Front. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Actually, like it, that. And it's definitely much more like partisans plus a little bit of psyops. Um, before that became a thing that we remember Russia doing to us. Um, (laughs) but yeah, the, uh, I forgot the scope of the beach invasion and just how well shot that is. Mm -hmm. Cause uh, you know, you you don't expect a ton from, from Joseph Zito because he's just the guy who did, um, Friday the 13th, um, wasn't it like part? Yeah. Part part four or part five. Uh, I'll look it up. He did the final chapter. So that one was, um, was that six? No, that was uh, th- that was uh, five, I think. Five, okay, yeah. Because it's the one with uh, the famous Crispin Glover dance scene, and oh Corey yeah, Feldman, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, shaves his head and stuff. Yeah, yes. Which is a really good one, but uh, you know, it's still, it's still, uh, and and he's he's generally a dependable low budget movie guy, but he uh, this movie basically killed his career Oof. because. Because not not because this movie was unsuccessful. This movie was wildly successful. Like on a ten million dollar budget, this movie made seventeen million dollars in the U.S. And it was until the mid two thousands, MGM's second most popular ever home video release behind Gone with the Wind. I read that. I th- I thought that was amazing, and I mean that would explain why I was never able to rent it for years after it came out, just because it was always gone. And mm-hmm. I, I just remember because, you know, he's got Chuck Norris there with the, the two little mini Uzis uh, strapped to his holster, you know. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Uzi bra, I keep thinking of it as. <laughs> the, yeah, well, I guess it's Chuck Norris, so we should probably call it a bro. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, that, you know, that classic image, he's got like that jean vest jacket kind of thing. And, uh, you know, he's just he's got that. Yeah, the Uzi bra on it. And. Like I remember that image and always wanting to like watch that movie. And I never got to just because it was so popular. And so when I read that, I mean, it like it, I don't want to say trauma, but I mean, it brought back a lot of those memories. <laughs> it's okay, Jerry, this is a safe space. We're, we're healing. We're healing together. Cause I, definitely... I never got to watch it. Anyway. Um... <laughs> I just had to print missing in action eight times. <laughs> See, it, I'm glad you you brought that up because I remember watching Missing in Action and really liking it. And so I was like super down to watch, you know, this Chuck Norris film because before that I had only seen him in, um, was it Return of the Dragon, I think, with, um, mm-hmm. you know, when that famous fight with Bruce Lee and the Coliseum. Yeah, and, which yeah. is a which is a great fight. It remains yeah, it a great really fight. Is, yeah. But yeah, it's it's weird just how big this movie was. Mm-hmm. This, this movie uh, essentially made canon for most of the 80s because it gave them a formula to stick to 
which mm-hmm. is we'll go to a place where we can blow some stuff up. We'll say, hey, let's blow this stuff up. We do that. We have uh, uh, we have a cool poster that we can pre-sell internationally. Mm-hmm. We get one big star or someone we can make a star. Um, and that's just what we'll do. You know, yeah, yeah, because it was it was what Chuck Norris, Charles Bronson, that was like another one of their big guys there, and they kind of did that same that same formula that you're talking about. And then, uh, yeah, I know Michael Dudikoff for a while. Um, yeah, uh, Sho Kasugi, mm-hmm. they, they they made a lot of money off of him. Yeah, it, um, these guys. I mean, I know they were kind of a joke around Hollywood, but you know, they in the '80s especially, they really started turning it around. I mean, they had some bigger budget films compared to what they'd done before. And I, and I, you know, watching that electric boogaloo documentary, which is fascinating, you know, uh, and exactly what you were saying, they would pre-sell these movies just based on, on uh, like a poster. Sometimes it wasn't even a poster. It was like a fake movie poster. (laughs) Well, that's one of the things that they are most famous for is they would mock up these great posters with these great titles, sell it. And then say, use that money to go make the, to make the movie. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it's really genius when you think about it. You know, I mean, hey, if you if you like market, 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 market all the way. I mean, I'm in sales, so I understand it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, these guys really were. I don't. I don't know ahead of their time, but they definitely saw things in a different light than most of uh, mainstream Hollywood did. And I don't know if it's because they were foreign. Um, or if it's just like some sort of romantic you know, romanticism that encapsulated them. I don't know. But all I know is that uh, they definitely took that formula and ran with it. And they kind of made a lot of cool, cheesy, but fun movies. Yeah. Uh, Menachem Golan, growing up in Israel, was just obsessed with American movies. Now, they would only get like dubbed or subtitled or whatever American films there. But he was still just obsessed with America and American movies and making American style movies. So even when he was making movies in Israel before he came to the United States, he was trying to make American style movies that could play for the international audience, which is not a lot of dialogue and a lot of shooting and explosions and stuff that'll translate internationally. Uh, So he basically leveraged um, a chain of movie theaters that he owned literally until his death to start making his own product to distribute in Israel. And so he made some, you know, uh, Israeli comedies and like, he made like the first Israeli sex comedy (laughs) and then ended up just basically buying his way into Hollywood because here comes this weird foreigner with all this money and he's going to (laughs) get Charles Bronson and he's going to go to the Philippines and he's going to make a movie where Charles Bronson shoots like 30 Filipinos or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which i mean it, you, that sounds ridiculous when you hear it but like they made it work <laughs> the the whole story is is ridiculous because one of the reasons why franco nero was in enter the ninja was because Menachem golan ran into him at a film festival in italy and he liked his look and he liked his mustache so he made him <laughs> he, so he said you come to philippines make my movie and so he brought him to the Philippines. Now, meanwhile, Franco Nero has to be dubbed because his English is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't matter because he looks cool and he's got a mustache. Yeah. And that that was just enough. He, you, the, the old cliche of the guy doing, he did things his own way is said about a lot of people. But 
no one person doesn't apply to more than Golan and Globus. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Well, there's that, that famous story with the Van Damme. He kind of got um, the same kind of start where he, he uh, called up, you know, Golan, uh, Golan and he was like, Hey, you know, uh, I'm an old friend, you know, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow. I got to come see you. And so then he, he shows up and then he does like a, like a split or, or what is a reverse roundhouse kick or something and misses him by inches. And so he's yeah. like, all right, you're in the movies. Let's, let's go make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. Um, you're right. That's not something that you normally see, um, especially in mainstream Hollywood, but I mean, it really, it really took off. And I, I, I love that he did, he kind of did the same thing with Chuck Norris. I mean, Chuck Norris was already kind of famous for being karate, but he wanted to expand. And so, you know, enter Invasion USA and Missing in Action and all these awesome, you know, movies that he came out in. in uh, and yeah, I think in the 80s, it really was, he was less like karate and more, uh, you know, more just machine gun kind of thing. But they, but they still managed to sneak in at least one, you know, Chuck Norris roundhouse, roundhouse. kick in every... In, in every <laughs> in everything he does this kind of feels like speaking of the roundhouse kick this kind of this movie feels a little bit like a pre like a proto walker texas ranger yeah is um uh mcneil or whatever the girl's name is uh, do you know her name i think so yeah the the reporter uh, yes the reporter yeah. she keeps calling him cowboy she does and the whole yeah. time i'm thinking well he's just gonna put a hat on at some point and move to texas this is what he does after he kills Rostov in yeah, he South Florida. Retires and just uh, changes his name to Walker. <laughs> well, he he goes into the uh, witness protection. There program. you go. Yeah, I like that even better. <laughs> yeah, Chuck Norris. I mean, of course, you have the the crazy jokes about Chuck Norris now, but um, I mean, I remember him being like like so cool in the eighties. You know, he was just he had that, that thick mustache. It was just it was kind of. Tom Selleck-y, you know, but he would also could like just do uh, martial arts really well. And you're just like, man, this guy, like if I'm ever in trouble, I want Rambo and I want, uh, you know, what's the name? Um, um, not, is it Prophet? No, what's his name from Commando? You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I want him and I want oh, Chuck yeah, Norris yeah. coming after me, you know, <laughs> like those are the guys I want. And uh, it's Maybe. funny because in that kind of legacy that Chuck Norris, you know, where he also, like you said, does Roundhouse and all sorts of things, uh, kind of started migrating towards, um, you know, further on, like Steven Seagal and then Van Damme and, uh, you know, and their era. And so it was almost like he was almost was like a go between because, you know, you had um, you had Schwarzenegger and Stallone, who were just these like just beastly men, you know, just just. I mean, massive that could just so strong could shoot anything. And then he had Chuck Norris who, yeah, he could shoot anything also, but he also could knew martial arts and really could take you apart like that. You know, he wasn't just mm-hmm. going to you know, beat you into submission. He could finesse it, <laughs> you know? And then of course you move into the next wave, which was like less guns and just more martial arts and stuff. So it's kind of like, he's like the bridge, at least to me in, in my mind, he's kind of like the bridge between the Schwarzeneggers and Stallones and like the, uh, you know, the, the Van Dams and Seagulls. Well, he was kind of one of the early guys to do it mm-hmm. and had never, and didn't reach the height of the other two, but he was definitely the first wave of like the straight to video action movie star dude. So so after Chuck Norris did it, you got a lot of guys who were legit martial artists who were like, you know what? I could get kicked in the face for, you know, $10,000 or I could go 
make a movie where I pretend to get kicked in the face and make $150,000. So you got like <laughs> Don, the dragon Wilson, who's, who was oh, a legit martial yeah. artist. Mm-hmm. You got like Carrie Daniels, who was, I think a kickboxer, full contact kickbox champion, like oh, Chuck wow. Norris. You got uh, even guys like Dudikoff who, it, who wasn't, uh, wasn't necessarily a fighter, but be- learned how to fight for movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was kind of the he he was kind of the bridge between the gun guy and the martial arts guy. He was literally like the uh, Porque no los dos meme, but <laughs> but with a beard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got you got to have uh, you got to have that Chuck Norris beard. <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, Invasion USA. It it again. I I'd forgotten that there was even Christmas in it. Um, until I saw it again. And then I remembered the mall scene because the mall scene always stuck out to me a lot um, growing up, you know, after I saw it, because I mean, it's, it's literally, you know, people shopping for Christmas and then uh, like just a huge truck that just like rams <laughs> just through the mall. And, and, you know, of course, as a kid, that's like, Whoa, it was just, it was amazing. I mean, even as an adult, it's amazing. Um, and that's one of the things that I remember, <laughs> This is okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to throw uh, my parents under the bus here. But I remember um, growing up, you know, they would always like make us stand uh, with them, never let us out of their sight and and stuff like that, because they were kind of afraid of, you know, people like running in and and just smashing through the walls and and stuff like that. And um, um, because the way our house was originally before we moved, it was like right there on an intersection. So they were always afraid of, you know, they would hear stories of like drunk drivers smashing through walls. So like when we'd go to malls and stuff like that, we'd always have to stick super close to them because they were always afraid of some drunk driver on a Friday night coming and just like smashing the walls and stuff like that and just running us over in the mall. So this scene, I remember when I watched it, I was like, that's what mom was talking about. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, now do, you, do you think your mom was talking about uh, Invasion USA or do you think she was talking about the Blues Brothers? <laughs> Probably the Blues Brothers. Because <laughs> you've got, you've got two guess. different choices. I don't think she's ever seen Invasion USA. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't think she's ever even heard of Invasion USA. I know my dad probably has, but <laughs> I mean, this is definitely like one of the most dad movies of all time. Yeah, this is a. I mean, there's like very little plot. Which I think is is a shame because apparently they there's like a ton of stuff that they cut, and um, you know I sent you a link to that novelization that uh, um, what's the name Obstfeld did, and mm-hmm. I was I was really intrigued by that because I don't know how much of that he added and how much of that was actually part of the original script that was just cut, you know I mean I, I know a lot of um, you know the novelists that that do these novelizations they they usually either work from like an earlier script or they just add stuff to fill in plot holes. And I don't know how much he just added or how, you know, how much was in the original script, but knowing that they cut so much from the movie, it really makes me wonder, you know, like, is there scenes that were filmed that are part of that? You know, that they kind of echo that because the novelization sounds great. Like I want to buy it and read it. (laughs) That's how great it sounds. One of, one of the things I, I can tell you is they did chop a lot of the plot out of this movie just to get you back to the action. Mm-hmm. It's it's really choppy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not even choppy. It's episodic. It's like yeah, watching. It, it's all. It it almost comes together like an, uh, another eighties classic UHF, where it's just a bunch of oh yeah, like vignettes, vignettes and short scenes and things that are stitched together with 
uh, it's, it's kind of smashed together to make a movie loaf rather than like an actual movie. Yeah, that's a good uh, way to say it. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff uh, did hit the the cutting room floor, but I'm not sure what exactly it was and how it matches up with the novelization. Because, uh, but I would I would be fascinated to know that. And if you know, if you if you get that novelization, you'll have to let me know because I'm I've actually been searching for it to try to find it myself. Oh, nice. Well, if I find it um, after I read it for sure, I'll mail it to you. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah, there's like, like the, the reporter, I mean, she doesn't really like, what does she really do? What does she really bring to the table? I mean, it seems like you could just cut her character out completely and the movie would still work just fine. Yes. Uh, but, uh, this may give you something of a hint of what her role originally was Mm -hmm. because the person Chuck Norris wanted to play that role was Whoopi Goldberg. Nice. And Whoopi Goldberg was super that. hot in 1985. Yeah, yeah. Because she had just uh, she had just come off. I think she'd either just come off or was going to win the Tony for her one woman show on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Which, if you've ever seen that, that's amazing. It, I never have. No, it's really impressive. Like hmm. uh, for all the you know Whoopi Goldberg on Star Trek kind of eye rolling thing, or Whoopi Goldberg on the, um, the talk or whatever the talk show is that she's on the view. I think the view eh, they're all the same. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. For, for all the kind of eye rolling you can do with that. She is really good at that. It, it, that show is incredible. Like it's you watch it and it's like, Oh, no wonder this won a boatload of awards. Cause she's just, the character work is so good, but yes, she was originally supposed to play that role. And Joseph Zito, the, the the aforementioned director, said, mm-hmm. "No, I don't want her. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to go huh. with Dolly McGuire. That's probably. I think that's one of the reasons why Chuck Norris looks angry this whole film because <laughs> after this happened, he went to Golan and Globus and said, "I'm never working with that guy again. He's gone." Nice. And so, I mean, not for Zito, but you know, not for Zito, but you know, <laughs> Chuck yeah. Norris definitely. Uh, had a strong, uh, strong voice to mm-hmm. <laughs> had a strong voice in this because he wrote the screenplay, and his brother has a story credit, which, uh, and also his brother did uh, second unit direction. Oh wow! So so Aaron Norris did a bunch of the uh, action scenes. Second unit typically is the the action scene people. Mm-hmm. First unit is the directors actually working with the actors. So, uh, well, the the action is really well done in this. I mean, like every. Every single you know vignette that we're talking about, um, it, it just it comes together really nice. It's actually shot very well. I I, I enjoyed. I thought the cinematography was was done um, superbly, and it just it looks good, uh, especially when you think about you know how much their budget was and stuff like that um, for the for the time. I mean, it looks like it's shot really well. It's it's just yeah. There's no real connective tissue besides we got to stop these terrorists, which is kind of a shame because there's a lot of times where you know he would just show up and you're like, well, how, how did he get here? How did you know this was happening? And I know that there's like an informant. You know, he he kind of interrogates or it's hinted that he interrogates one of the you know the terrorists, but it's you know it's still that's like iffy at best. I mean, it <laughs> there's no real like you. Know, why or how and and I think that's what I wanted from the movie just a little more and I think that's one of the things that the reporter was involved in that they cut mm, um, yeah that makes sense so you just get these like two these <laughs> one minute sequences of him going to a guy who's dying and saying where's Rostov except he doesn't say it in that voice it's more like 
where's Rostov? <laughs> there, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was too much emotion in that first one. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, uh, I, I'll, I'll get it. I'll restrain my instrument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a, you know, the, the whole thing too, is that he, okay. So Chuck Norris is like a retired, um, what is he? CIA? I think he is CIA. He's CIA. Yeah. Retired CIA. He's, he's now, working with his friend, John Eagle They're, They like wrestle gators and sell, I guess the alligators and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and, and Rostov, who's the, the USSR, um, counterpoint, I suppose they're like, it's like his old nemesis. He had captured him once and he wanted to kill him, but I guess his orders were like, he wasn't allowed to. And so Rostov was planning this big invasion. He's going to take over the U S you know, kind of a thing, destabilize it, let it tear itself apart. And he knows because of his nightmares that uh, Hunter's still out there. And so he has to go take care of him or he won't be able to rest and, or he will feel the mission is, won't be successful. So he goes to try to kill him instead ends up killing his friend, John Eagle. Mm-hmm. And uh, that causes Chuck Norris to get involved. But you'd think after all that, you know, you know, because that's when he wants to get involved as after his friend dies, you'd think that he'd have some sort of like, emotion or passion that you know like i gotta get this you know this is for john eagle but nothing it's it's pretty i mean it's just pretty solid and flat the whole way he is 100 percent emotionless to this whole thing yeah now uh, although i guess if he's a cia agent who kills people for a living it would be pretty easy to kind of shut your emotions That's off true. and just kind of lean into the the murder or you hate the director and you want to get this over with <laughs> let's get on to the next one i got seven more films in my contract let's get this done now do you think that uh do you think that armadillo was a trained armadillo or do you think that was just an armadillo that (laughs) chuck norris brought to set one day it's like i wouldn't doubt it if it was literally just something that he found and was like hey this is cool let's put this in here (laughs) because you're not going to have armadillos in florida especially not the everglades no that definitely was an odd choice I don't know if have you ever taken one of those Everglades boat tours? No, I never have. Mm-mm. I have many times, and no yeah, armadillos. that is no armadillos. A <laughs> okay. uh, lot of alligators. There's a reason it's called Alligator Alley, and you'll literally pass like half a dozen alligator farms slash wildlife shows to get to the Everglades, where you can take the boat tour around. Oh and wow! You just get into a big fan boat like the one. Actually, you get the one that was much bigger than the one John Eagle was driving around in. I guess they couldn't afford the, the family size. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's it's going. You get like lows. five or ten people, and everybody pays like twenty or thirty bucks back in the nineties, and you just take that boat around, and they take you to see cypress trees, and they take you through all the reedy, swampy waters, and they mm-hmm. take you around and like throw chicken, raw chicken, out to feed gators, and oh wow, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds cool, and and. Uh, so that's why I refuse to believe that John Eagle didn't make money off of his uh, <laughs> off of his <laughs> airboat ride because it's a blast. There is a yeah, there is that line about uh, his his uh, keeping income from the government <laughs> on his taxes. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I I do have to say though that um, despite his lack of passion or whatever, and and you're right, you know I guess you get desensitized to those things and you have to turn off your emotions, but you know even with all that it does have like one of the best opening scenes i think in uh in cinema and it's just you know with, with the, the refugees and you know they're trying to escape cuba they're they're coming to you know to america 
and they're met by the Coast Guard and it's uh you know they're like hey welcome to America and of course they're all like yeah yelling and it turns out it's actually Rostov um it was played by Richard Lynch by the way character actor extraordinaire uh I love this guy I mean I know that you know he's his face is burned and you know scarred pretty bad but i think that makes him like the perfect villain you know yeah that's one of the things i think that that ended up giving him a career is the scarring because it's not it's not bad enough to where he looks like you know phantom of the opera or anything right but it but it's uh it's enough to so you look at him say oh this guy's been through some stuff he's not somebody you want to mess with exactly And and richard lynch ended up kind of making a career out of that. And I think that that's one of the things that kind of gave him confidence to actually become an actor is after the scarring. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has something to do. uh, It it ties into his backstory somehow, but yeah, that opening scene just immediately grabs you like Mm -hmm. right away. Cause it's like, Oh, this is that, that was just a boat full of men and women. The first person who dies is an old man. Yeah. It's just a boat full of like women and children and innocent people. And they just gunned them down. They just gunned them down like crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then they take all the drugs that were in their boat. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know who put the drugs on the boat, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's the eighties, I guess you just kind of lucked into that kind of thing. Everybody had cocaine in the eighties. <laughs> um, yeah. So they take the drugs. They, of course the boat eventually makes its way to shore and, and um, FBI and all that stuff are called to kind of check it out. And I like how, again, we see a little more, not character development, but we see some forethought and, and a little more insight into his character with when Rostov actually takes the drugs and he like trades them for weapons um, to that drug dealer. And then he just like literally just kills the drug dealer and his girl. I was like, oh, okay, I get yeah, it. This which, guy's pretty cool. Which uh, that, that drug dealer is none other than similar veteran horror actor, character actor, uh, the late Billy Drago. Yes. Yeah, you're right. He is another one that uh, you see him and you're like, oh, bad guy right there. Yeah, he's, he's also in uh, Delta Force 2 with Chuck Norris. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and I mean, it's you think about it, and of course all these canon films, they they did like to recycle their uh, actors. And they kind of almost, if you think about it, they almost had like that, uh, like that old school Hollywood mentality, you know, where kind of like the studio essentially owned your contract. And so you'd work just for that studio. That's kind of how they ran things. Yeah. They, they, they would find a guy and they would run him into the ground basically. Yeah. Uh, Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. They did it with, um, there's a reason the same girl is in breaking two and, uh, Ninja three, the domination. Oh, uh, Kelly. Uh, I don't remember her real name, but, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but th- that's the same girl because yeah. Golan was like, she's cute. She'll do. She can dance. She could probably, <laughs> she could dance. She could kick high. We could probably teach her some martial arts. Yeah. You know, this is movie three with Shokasugi. He'll definitely show up for it. Uh, and, you know, we'll just round out the cast. She, she had three movies that year. It was Break In, uh, Ninja 3, and Break In 2 all together that year. That's That's like a crazy year for her. All three canon movies, by the way. All three canon movies. I hope she made bank, but it's canon, so she did not. not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she did not. There's a reason that that canon. You would only find one name in a canon movie. (laughs) That's because that's the only guy who was getting paid. Yep, yep, pretty much. (laughs) Kelly Kelly from Breaking was not getting paid. No, poor girl. But hey, you know, I mean, still to be in three movies in one year—that's it's got to be something. 
Yeah. So the uh, the gorillas land on shore. They uh, or terrorists, gorillas, whatever you want to call them. And I like how as they're going, they just like shoot that couple on the beach. You know, <laughs> just like. And okay, so, uh, oh, go so ahead. before you go for, past that shooting, okay, who who brings a portable TV to your beach makeout party? <laughs> I don't know. I guess to help them get in the mood. I, <laughs> yeah, because Phyllis Diller on Johnny Carson is definitely going to get somebody there to go. <laughs> Maybe he's got a thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, you know, all all sorts of stripes, I guess. But uh, yeah, so. You're right. I mean, there's a lot of odd choices that they make, but again, it was the eighties and I mean, the eighties are literally just all odd choices. So I guess, I guess it makes sense, but I did love that. You know, you just, you see them all just storming on the beach and and I thought that was really cool. And that's why I like, I remembered it so much. It was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I get it. I get it. Um, And then after that, it's just, it's real subtle and low key. They just start like as i mentioned earlier they impersonate you know some of their guys impersonate some cops and then just literally gun down some cubans um, just to get them to start hating the police then we hear threats of you know violence all around the country and and you know um you know acts not just threats but acts of violence excuse me and uh in similar veins and so they just you know these terrorists as soon as they get there they just get into these like 18 wheelers and and all sorts of other vehicles and just kind of just start driving all over the country so that they can start um inciting you know all these these fights and and instigating these these uh, events yeah that's that's one of the most effective uh, effective ways the movie sets the tone for this without actually having to spend money yeah uh, the guys are running up onto the beach there's like i don't know a hundred goons yeah coming out of these world war ii era troop deployers so you definitely get a v d-day vibe off of it i can definitely see why you thought it was more of like a legit invasion because <laughs> yeah. this is shot like a legit invasion yeah so, and they storm the beaches, and as they go to the trucks, guys are yelling out, Detroit, Chicago, New York, uh, Los Angeles. And people are getting onto the trucks and presumably driving to those locations. Yeah. And each truck could hold, you know, what, 10, 10 or 12 dudes maybe? Something like that, yeah. But that's really all you need to start a bunch of chaos, especially if you've got access to to weapons. Mm-hmm. These guys literally find ex- – these guys literally have baskets of explosives because – everything involves a bomb somehow or grenades <laughs> of course <laughs> or law rockets and, and clearly they've got access to a hollywood level costume shop because they've got all these police uniforms yeah i don't know maybe they just uh, beat up some cops and took their uniforms out <laughs> no i i know what you mean it's they're they're definitely well equipped they have the you know the the means to actually um you know sneak in and be undetected and and I mean, they, I think they're very effective at it because you, you hear on the, you know, the news, there are all sorts of attacks going on and stuff like that. And of course the FBI is like, I don't know who it is. Let's get, you know, Hey Hunter. And Oh, I, I got to mention, yeah, that uh, Chuck Norris's name is Matt Hunter. So, you know, Hunter, he's going to go hunt anyway. Oh yeah. Little on the nose there, Chuck, but okay. <laughs> he's, he's, he's going to go Matt. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna, that's right. Yeah. He's going to frame a bunch of posters real nice, <laughs> like the poster for Invasion USA. There you go. <laughs> um, and of course, they, you know, they suspect Rostov, and so they bring they bring him back in because his partner, you know, John Eagle dies, and so he starts immediately going to like his old contacts and you know different clubs and stuff to to see 
they know of any mercs that have been hired. And so he starts to find out a few things. And then pretty much after that, it's literally just like him showing up at different places and stopping them like non, like nonstop the rest of the movie. It's just that until the very end when he, you know, sets up his own little trap, but like, there's a, the scene at the church, there's a scene at the mall, um, I mean, he literally just like shows up and, and just stops these things. Uh, the, the drive when the, with the school bus. You know, school bus. Yeah. yeah. That's a great scene. That's a great scene. I did like that one. Yeah. Um, I think that's my favorite of all of them. I mean, it's they, just it's shot beautifully. There, It's very intense. You know, it's like the, you know, okay, is, is he going to get it? Is he going to get the bomb? That kind of thing. And he, he does, of course, because he's Chuck Norris. He's going to make it work. He's, he's Matt Hunter, man. Yeah, he's and so he he does it, but I think he just everything he does is just so and it, because like you said they cut so much out, it's just so mind boggling how he shows up at all these places at exactly the right times. Yeah, and he shows up at exactly the right times, and he literally says the minimum amount of dialogue <laughs> needed to make this a talking picture. This <laughs> will show up, and it'll be like, did you guys lose something? I'd like plant a bomb on the terrorist car and the car blows up when the bomb goes off or, you know, yeah. so it's like, if you survive this, tell Rostov it's time to die. It's time to die. It, yeah. I mean, it's, Oh no, sorry. Too much emotion. It's time to die. I, I don't know. Yes. I can't do it, but no, that's not bad. You gotta, I, I mean, this is, this is just spoilers for what we're going to be doing later in the podcast. <laughs> that's right. Cause this is the most repeated line and the most memorable line in this movie. It's just, to die which i i didn't get um watching the movie and then reading about the novelization um apparently he like actually carved his initial you know on on rostov's wrist so that every time he looked at his expensive watch he would see the initial and know that it's it's going to be time to die next time they meet so i mean again that's like a little thing that i think would have added a lot to it I don't know if that was in the original script or not, but I think that's really cool. And I would have liked to have seen it, but I mean, the movie still rules. So, I mean, who, who cares? The body count for this movie is insane. I think, I think it's uh, like over a hundred, right? Oh, it's, it's over a hundred and it's 129. If you believe <laughs> the IMDB and Matt Hunter personally kills 30 people, <laughs> which is a hundred percent believable because yeah, oh yeah, he he's everybody. literally walking through scenes with just his two little, uh, his machine gun man seer just <laughs> shooting guys. Uh, he kills a guy throwing a knife. The knife, yeah. He blows up a bunch of guys like with their own explosives, which was impressive. Uh, so yeah, this. So you're you're not wrong. This movie just rules. And yeah, it's just it's literally the Ur Chuck Norris movie because they don't try to make him have a romantic subplot. He doesn't woo anyone. He doesn't have to cry or look emotional any more than mildly irritated that terrorists are killing children and also his <laughs> yeah. best friend. Yeah. He just literally walks through this movie. is like, stick around, knife. Or, <laughs> hey, did you drop something? Doesn't oh. work, huh? Works now. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he just... He literally does not crack a smile. Nope. Uh, he does kind of wave at the reporter girl one time when she like throws something at him, which was funny. I'm glad you brought that up because I was expecting a romantic subplot with them. And of course, I mean, it, nothing happens at all. And it just, it was one of those where it's like, 
why didn't they? I mean, that's like typical for the era. So you would have thought, I mean, maybe it just slowed, maybe it was a pacing issue. I don't know. Or, or they just wanted more action. I, I, again, I'm not sure, but for some reason I was expecting it. And I think it's just because that happens in like all of these eighties movies and it just, it, it never came to fruition. And it kind of bummed me out a little bit because I was expecting some sort of something, but Again, uh, at the same time, this movie is just awesome. So <laughs> I, can't. I, I can't help but feel like all of that was left on the cutting room floor, number one. Yeah. And number two, Chuck Norris wasn't into it. And he was just like, no, I, I know who I wanted. I didn't yeah. get that. So you're getting the bare minimum, Chuck, and you're gonna <laughs> and you're gonna do it. Although I will say for somebody doing the bare minimum, he does all his own stunts. Yeah, which is like, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, although I, I love your image of passive aggressive Chuck Norris, <laughs> I, I want that like to be a meme now, just <laughs> some sort of <laughs> passive aggressive Chuck Norris. Yeah. So he's, he's like shows up, he stops all these, these different plots. You know, there was the, the school bus full of children. There was the, uh, you know, at the church, um, that they were going to blow up, um, all that stuff. He ends up killing Nico, who is like Rostov's second in command it's like his you know his number one guy you know and he in the end decides to form a, a i guess a trap because he at this point he's pissed off rostov so much that like he knows he's going to come after him no matter what so he fakes being arrested and that way he can force them to send all their guys to this one place that he's at and of course he calls in what like the national guard i think um yes uh yeah the it's guard, yeah. it's not fully spelled out but it's it's basically a big trap involving the national guard and this fake governor's conference and also his arrest and so. his arrest yeah. yeah and so of course rostov takes the bait because he's been having nightmares about this guy for years now he's i mean he's just but i gotta say it's his own fault like literally he could have succeeded if he had just left John Eagle alive. Like if he had just forgotten Hunter completely and just did his mission, I think he, his plan would have worked, but he was so obsessed with this dude that he like, like, I mean, he Thanos did. He literally, you know, in the comics, Thanos is like famous for, for doing something to make himself fail, like subconsciously. And I mean, he literally just Thanos to this thing. Uh, Cause it would have worked. <laughs> it's a shame. And and everyone around him told him to just leave it alone. <laughs> That's exactly but, right. But he's too busy. He's too busy shooting Billy Drago in the groin and, <laughs> and throwing women out the window. <laughs> to, uh, what, you know, I mean, if you can, why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So he falls for the he falls for the trap. Since all his guys there, they end up surrounded. There's like a big shootout and firefight while inside Chuck Norris and uh, and Rostov are basically just, you know, hunting each other. Just uh, and, and I love I love the shots of him where he's just kind of looking around, you know, like just like trying to find Hunter and he's just he's missing it. And I just I thought it was shot just so well. Um, the lighting was perfect. Just everything was was done really, really superbly. Um and especially when you think about it being canon, it's like it, it makes it even that much more impressive because it's not like they were known for like their cinematography or anything. But I thought uh, I thought they did a really great job with that part. Like you just feel the claustrophobia as as he's like going through the different uh, rooms of you know in this building. It gave it gave me uh, terrible flashbacks to my 
office job that I've not been at all year. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but this, uh, but this cinematographer who did this, uh, uh, Joel Fernandez, uh-huh. he did uh, the final chapter for Joseph Zito. He did Missing in Action. He did a, uh, like eight episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger as the DP. <laughs> uh, he Funny. was Chuck Norris's guy. He did sidekicks. Uh, he did Delta Force 2. He did Mission in, a- Mission in Action 3. He did this movie, uh, Children of the Corn. He was pretty much a uh, an 80s cinematographer. He did Joe Zito's first movie, this sick little, gross little horror movie called The Prowler. Uh, and- I didn't know that one. Excuse me, not the Prowler. The Prowler's good. the The sick movie is Blood Rage, which is like the most like night picture the the dirtiest nineteen eighty New York shot on location. <laughs> like, can you tell the real pimps from the fake pimps kind of movie? Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I probably could, <laughs> but uh, no. Um, yeah, it's just it's. I thought, like I said, it was done really well. You know, you're kind of tracking, you're, you're tracking Rostov, like, okay, what's going on? Hunter just kind of shows up out of nowhere. And of course he utters his famous, you know, it's time, you know, essentially it's time to die and mm-hmm. shoots Rostov with the, uh, doesn't he shoot him with the law? Yes. Yeah. Although he, although he's way too close, you got to be like 35 feet away from something for a law rocket to arm itself. So basically <laughs> what he would have done was he would have shot shot it into Rostov and just punched a big hole in his chest with a, a rocket that wasn't armed and the rocket would just go blow the building next door up. But it doesn't matter. It's a canon movie. We've got all these law rockets <laughs> sitting around. We're just going to shoot them. We're just going to shoot them all. Might as well. Let's blow I mean, er, I mean, earlier in the movie, somebody shoots the, uh, the under the barrel mount for the M16, like four times without reloading. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Well, I don't think realism was high on their list of to-dos. You know, I mean, it's canon, but but it yeah. works. And I love what they do with it. I mean, it just, it works so well. It's like, like just the quintessential, like 80s movie, you know, 80s action flick. Um, and I, because it was, I guess really, it wasn't until what, like the, the late 80s that we started seeing more comedy in the action movies, you know, like, uh, I mean, we had some, of course, but like it wasn't until at least like 87 is what I'm thinking of, like Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, that we really get more of that, you know, action comedy kind of beat. Um, you know, action movies were action movies and Chuck Norris proves that he can do them pretty well, especially with this one here. And, and the best you got in action movies were like some one-liners from Chuck or uh, John Matrix. It really kind of Matrix. I'm, that was his name. I don't yes. know why I couldn't think of it. Yeah, because uh, it's you know it's all the same. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Arnold. Arnold is Arnold. Arnold. Yeah, exactly. He, he is he is he robot Arnold? Is he sad dad Arnold? Is he uh, my daughter is <laughs> is a zombie Arnold? Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Is he hanging out with Johnny Knoxville? Is he hanging out with Rob Schneider or whatever? <laughs> Not Rob Schneider, but. Doesn't matter. Anyway, <laughs> Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So speaking of the eighties, um, <laughs> but yeah, this uh, I really want to say, yeah, like Lethal Weapon, Die Hard. That generation is what made action movies decide, oh, we have to be funny. And it turns out some people, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, are pretty funny and are good <laughs> at that sort of thing. Yeah. Other people, like Chuck Norris, 
not necessarily known for his comedy skills, which is why sidekicks didn't work. No. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you give him a dry one-liner, they hit pretty hard in this movie. And his, his one-liners in general are pretty good. They, they uh, th- through choice or through happenstance, they really distill this movie down into just the stuff Chuck Norris can do well. Yeah. Hank from, Hank from the side of the truck, look cool, shooting machine guns, kicking people in the face, mm-hmm. threatening dudes, throwing out one-liners, and uh, driving around in a truck. Stabbing a guy in the hand. <laughs> yes, which, which is a great scene, and then giving him a grenade, being like, "If you live through this, tell Rostov, it's time to die." <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. It's good. Uh, unfortunately, critically, the movie was not such a hit. It, uh, I think, it's got like an eighteen percent or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, it's, it's. I know Ebert gave it like half a star. I think he gave it zero stars. Oh, did he, he give it zero? It. <laughs> he hated it yeah i mean and i know a lot of it was just to i mean i think he even called it let's see like a brain damaged idiotic thriller not even bad enough to be laughable wow that's pretty harsh well Ro- roger ebert when he missed on a genre movie he missed wildly because he didn't get starship troopers either and that movie's amazing that movie is so good i love starship troopers the the satire basically went over his it head. went over his head yeah for yeah. sure but and Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, he walked out of. Really? Yeah. He, he it went. He disliked it that much, which I understand. That's a vile movie, and, and terrible things happen. But Tom Tolles and uh, Michael Rooker just are amazing actors, especially in that flick. Which, yeah. You know, I like. Doesn't Michael have anything Richard. to do. Doesn't have anything to do with this movie, but you know. <laughs> that's okay it's not a it's podcast also, if you don't go off on tangents you know it's also the 80s i'm on theme they, <laughs> they, pro- they probably celebrate christmas at some point in that movie it just looks sweaty and disgusting <laughs> like the 80s um so yeah uh jay chataway's score um i really enjoyed it i mean i know it's mostly just uh you know electronic kind of a lot of pads a lot of rhythmic you know variation kind of thing but uh, i i think it works of course it eventually was released on cd a couple of years ago and um and the the full score which is which is great um because a lot of times you don't get the full score you only get bits and pieces of it or you get uh, several cues amalgamated into one track um, but it's like the the full score so i thought that was uh, fantastic that uh, hopefully will be ordered soon um they were out of stock when i tried but uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just a great movie. Um, so thank you again for bringing it up because I'd completely forgotten about it until you... And, and you know, what reminded me was uh, when um, on Discord, when you changed your profile picture. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, that's Chuck Norris. And you were like, yeah, from you know Invasion USA, the Christmas movie. And I was like, oh yeah. And it just like light bulbs started, you know, the wheels started turning in my head, the light bulbs were turning on. And all of a sudden it was like, I remember this movie, and sure enough, yeah, it was it was amazing. Since I since I rewatched it for film strip, it has become part of my Christmas canon. Nice, yeah. So <laughs> it it uh, it fits in there, and the you know everybody else has gone to bed, and it's time for me to to zone out to some action movies. Yeah, this one, um, 
Lethal, uh, lethal Weapon is uh, I usually end up watching Lethal Weapon and Die Hard with uh, my wife because she loves those movies. Who doesn't? Nice. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get her to watch Invasion USA. She did not. She missed it somehow in the 80s. Oh, so wow. it's, it's it's time. Yeah. Not, <laughs> well, it's time not to die. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, hold on. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's watch our language there. Um, um, this one I think is probably going to be in my Christmas rotation. I, I just did an episode with Scott Leopold on, uh, you know, of uh, Holly Jolly X Masu on um, uh, Night of the Comet, the Christmas oh, movie, Night movie. of the Comet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's another good one. And he, that's one he watches every year, usually around Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Day. So uh, I don't know if that one's going to be part of my rotation, but for sure I'm going to watch it throughout the year because that's just a great movie. You could also work uh, Death Wish 3 in. I believe Death Wish 3 is another canon Christmas classic. I think you're right. Uh, I do believe there is a Christmas in there. Yeah. So we'll probably get to that sometime soon as well. <laughs> uh, I will be glad to come back for that one. Cause I, uh, yes, for, I got to have I love, that. <laughs> I, I love a chance to do my terrible Charles Bronson impression. <laughs> this will be good. Yeah. Um, but that does make me wonder, you know, what would you say would be like your hap hap happiest memory or moment of uh, invasion USA? Uh, do you mean besides introducing you, uh, reintroducing it to you? Of course. Because I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with that one. I gotta say, but uh, <laughs> that can count. <laughs> but I definitely, I don't know if I have a specific hap hap happiest memory for this one, or if it just kind of falls into the whole. My family would go on Friday night to the video store. Uh, uh, go to uh, Sizzler or Ponderosa. Or, or Ryan's or some terrible steakhouse for dinner, mm-hmm. go, go to the video store then get some kind of action movie for my, my everybody to watch. And either I would watch it with them if it was uh, relatively child appropriate or otherwise I would rent uh, like a professional wrestling tape and go into the other room and watch like WrestleMania four for the fifth nice. time. Um, but it's just kind of, it just kind of flashes me back to all those like, Eight, uh, late 80s family gatherings full of people who are no longer here and it's just it, it, just seeing the canon logo is just like being punched with nostalgia mm-hmm. and i actually have a canon t-shirt <laughs> that's just the canon c uh, <laughs> nice. that i actually <laughs> awesome. i actually yeah i actually wore that um in new york the last time i was in new york when i went to the Stuart Wellington's bar uh, to meet Stuart and actually I met Stuart and Dan McCoy from the flop house there wearing oh, wow. the Canon t-shirt had a really nice uh, like 15, 20 minute conversation with Dan. who was really cool. That's super so, cool. Yeah. It was a good time. And yeah, Stuart right. was willing a Stuart was wearing a Hawaiian shirt that had uh Kreitz from critters on it, like with <laughs> luau hats and lays nice. and tropical drinks. It was pretty great. <laughs> oh man that's that's good i mean i um for me i think it would have to be when i finally saw it because i remember it was years after it came out and we would just keep going and keep going and it was just it was always gone at the video store and when we finally was there because you know at that point other action movies had pretty much taken over um i mean i remember watching it and i thought it was awesome but then i, I also know it was around the time of like Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo. And so I started renting more video games after that. And so I, I 
this one I saw it like once, maybe twice. I, I want to say really was only once, and then it just kind of passed me by after that. But I think for sure it would be definitely um the first time I saw it, and it was just it was so cool. You know, it was everything that I wanted it to be with those uh those two, you know, those twin, you know, mini Uzis. I mean, it was just oh, it was so cool. It was just like the height of action. And I, and I want to say it also got a lot of play on cable. So you might have seen it on like TNT or I, I, I guarantee you this was shown on USA. Yeah, yeah, like a million percent. Yes, <laughs> on USA. Oh man! But that does bring me to my favorite part of the show, which is a little segment I like to call "Gag Me with the Spoon." So this is where we do our best impression of our least favorite part of the of the movie, and then I put it out to you listeners, and you guys vote, and uh, winner gets a totally rad Christmas sticker. Unless I win, in which case I get nothing. But it's been sixty some, or I guess at this point seventy something episodes, and I still haven't won. So I think you're pretty safe. But uh, I'll, uh, as a guest, I'll let you go first. Just kind of set up the scene for us, and. Uh, and then, yeah, take it from there. Okay, so this is a challenge because there's no part of this movie that isn't awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. yep. But for me, the line that works the least is where after Matt Hunter has just stabbed that guy in the hand and the goons come up from downstairs and he, and he looks at him and he says, if you come back in, I'll hit you with so many rights, you'll be begging for a left. <laughs> There was a few that didn't quite, yeah, that that were were just not as awesome. Let's we'll say it like that, because uh, that's mine too. I I loved the scene. Um, this is when, um, you know, they they had the the bomb. I think they were blowing up the church, and they like they pressed the remote and like it didn't work, and so then he mm-hmm. ends up he ends up having it, and of course <laughs> he he blows them up instead, uh, and so he says, and again, great scene. I just don't. <clears throat> the line I thought could have been a little more clever. He says, um, didn't work, huh? Now it will. <laughs> that's it. That, that's it. <laughs> now, see, I love that line just because it's so, it's so ridiculous. It's definitely ridiculous. Yeah. And the, and the other, to me, the other line is just, isn't it, it's, it isn't dumb enough. Mm-hmm. Like it needs to be slightly dumber. Uh-huh. And it's that it's that image of him saying, "No, it will." Well, connecting those two wires with his black gloves on, <laughs> like those gloves are going to keep him from getting electrocuted right? or something. <laughs> yeah, we kind of ignore laws of physics and uh, all sorts of things like that in these movies, but they work. Uh, no, that was great. So yeah, I'll leave it up to you, listeners, and you vote, and um, we'll see what happens. But like I said, I think you're pretty safe. <laughs> i don't know about all that <laughs> <laughs> oh man but it does uh it does make me wonder you know gi joe they taught us that no one is half the battle what do you think the other half is <laughs> the other half is clearly knowing what time it is <laughs> it's like time <laughs> i like that that's better than mine mine is uh so if knowing's half the battle the other half is not killing the friend of your old enemy and motivating him to try to stop you <laughs> That's a good one. I, you could also say the other half is having a machine gun brazier. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a, yeah. If you're going to stop some uh, terrorists on domestic soil, make sure you have a machine gun brazier. Yep. <laughs> oh man, Ron, it's been, uh, it's been so much fun talking with you. Tell me about your show. 
<laughs> my show is the film strip podcast uh i recently took over as basically the main host and the guy who does all the work so so, <laughs> so it's it's gonna be it's been an interesting adjustment adjustment for me to like uh record audio and you know try to find guests and book guests and have people on and i definitely want to have you on to talk about curl at some point jerry yeah heck yeah um one of my favorites I, I, I gotta. I'm gonna try to come up with a theme month and get to knock out some of my favorite of the guy in leather with medieval weapons <laughs> genre. Yeah. Yep. So, so we'll do that. We'll do a Beastmaster. Oh yeah, another great we'll, one. We'll do uh, a Conan. Uh, if the, if Conan hasn't already been done, I, I really hope it hasn't been done because I love the Conan movies and I love Beastmaster. Well, there's always and, Conan the Bar- the Destroyer. Uh, Conan the Destroyer, I like more than Conan the Barbarian because it's you know? stupider. <laughs> it <laughs> and he is. kills that, and he kills that giant puppet <laughs> <laughs> by ripping out its horn. <laughs> yes, but uh, Film Strip Podcast is basically just a bunch of uh, fun people talking about movies. We don't limit ourselves to any specific genre, but we do tend to do theme months. So you'll have, for example, we had. Uh, dueling podcasts where for one week it was a freddy movie and one week it was a jason movie oh nice i was doing the jason side and uh uh co-host nick and jay were doing the the freddy side and we ended up with a three-man podcast at the end for all three of us talking about freddy versus jason uh we've done a lot a lot of canon movies so please go download and listen to uh, avenging force uh <laughs> and um Revenge of the Ninja is an amazing movie and also a pretty good podcast. Ninja Three uh, has become something of a meme because of the uh, the our our love of V Eight <laughs> from that movie. Yes, um, uh, that love scene. <laughs> yeah, lots of uh, lots of people that you will know from Totally Red Christmas have been on there. We've had all three of the elves from Tis the Podcast show up and. There's definitely going to be more people. We've actually had all three of the elves on several times, sometimes as individuals, sometimes as a group. We've never had, I think, all three of them on at once, except for one of our film strip live session events. But uh, every other time it's been, we've had two of the three, um, which is the origin of uh, Rare Exports. We I introduced that to uh, uh, Julia and... <laughs> and that was a lot of fun um, <laughs> to ruin their lives with that. Oh no! <laughs> uh, and to do uh, and to do one of my favorite holiday movies with them, Chris, uh, New Year's Evil, which is not a Christmas movie, but is another great uh, '80s slasher movie. And so, yeah, check us out anywhere pods are casted. You can find us or Anchor.fm/slash Filmstrip. Uh, filmstrippodcast.com filmstrippod on pretty much all of the social media so check it out right on definitely check them out uh i mean they've done everything from like terminator 2 you know they, i think y'all just covered wonder woman right a few months ago something like that yes wonder woman not too long ago mm-hmm. um poltergeist i remember the poltergeist episode uh i mean yeah it's good stuff last chris last christmas we released all of the uh all of the episodes we recorded of the paranormal activity series on one day. So that was like six podcasts in one day that were recorded over the course of a long time. That was many, many years in the making. Those sat around for quite some time. Oh, wow. 
and I'm sure because we we were we we done all of them. We were gonna uh, go to the release of the then newest Paranormal Activity Ghost Dimensions, mm-hmm. and life kind of got in the way, and then it just kind of ended up getting forgotten for literally years, five yeah. years almost or longer. And I'm sure that you know when Jay released those, he had to go back in and edit out a bunch of talk about I don't know the George W. Bush administration or something. <laughs> who knows how old those things were? That's definitely old because uh, I. I think it's been quite some time since he was president, <laughs> if I recall correctly. <laughs> oh man! Um, but yeah, check out and um, on social media. Where can they find you? Uh, social media, they can find me at I believe it is Filmstrip Pod on all the socials. Nice. Uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, there's a Facebook page that I've not gotten control of yet, but uh, Jay's still running the Facebook page, so he'll do that for me until I actually set up a Facebook account. Cause I don't have one. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to do that for the show. Um, and we have a letterbox. So you can go through our letterbox and see every one of our 301 episodes with links that take you directly to the episode. So if you want to go listen to uh topsy turvy, uh, it's right there. You just search topsy turvy in our letterbox page. It's you can click the link and go right to it. Uh, I thought that would, uh, that was uh, an idea I had to kind of make it easy for people to go through our decade-old, 301-movie-strong back catalog. Wow. Also, check out uh, our most recent episode on the 1963 King Kong versus Godzilla, the original mm-hmm. that uh, we recorded to segue and pl- and show up right after our, our appearance on the Tis the Podcast Patreon for Godzilla versus Kong. 2021 nice what'd you think of that by the way i really liked it i had a, had a great time with it uh it's very much it was very much filmed like a uh, professional wrestling and, mm-hmm. and laid out like professional wrestling and that's what i want from my kaiju movies yeah because the original king kong versus godzilla is also laid out like a professional wrestling match so so it all kind of worked for me. They didn't make you wade through a lot of boring stuff with people talking. Yeah. They got you right to the big old monsters, and that's what anybody's there for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the, the beef right there. So, Right on, man. Definitely check them out. And, uh, Ron, thanks again for coming on. It was fun. It was great. We'll have to do it again sometime with some more canon movies. <laughs> for sure. I'm sure we'll find something. <laughs> yeah, Jay's been wanting to do the uh, – uh, <laughs> Jason's been wanting to do the mis- uh, missing in action, so we'll have to. Well, maybe we'll have you show up for uh, one of those. Heck yeah, I'm down for it anytime. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and on that note, I'll end it by saying it's time. So check us out on our social media pages Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're feeling like Hunter saving a bunch of Christmas shoppers at a mall, leave us a review on iTunes. Not only does it help us reach more people, but you also get a free sticker. Now, don't forget to vote. Later, dudes. On the Snow and Southtown Christmas podcast, we discuss Christmas movies, Christmas music, and we have fun segments where we always talk about something weird and something fun related to Christmas on each episode. If we're tired of making fun of Michael Bublé, I might recommend Pentatonics. I'm not going to play you two on this, on this podcast. Thank you. He's eating ice cream and crunch taters. He's just partying, man. Thank God it's them instead of you, right? I was going to say he was rolling over in his grave, but I don't think he's dead, but... Well, he's still doing it. When he heard Patty LaBelle, he <laughs> dug his grave and he rolled him. How about 10s and 20s? 10s and 20s. Be sure to check out our website at snowandsouthtown.wordpress.com. 
where you'll find links to our Facebook, our Twitter, and our Discord. Uh, yeah, I'd like the tiny tots, please. You mean a, <laughs> some small tater tots? Yeah, yeah, your tiny tots. He told them the whole time. They know one beagle. Fire that up. Speaking my language now. You can stream our podcast at iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and anywhere else you get your podcast. It's a problematic movie. Yeah, we should pee together at least once per decade, really. He is Dallas knows that's because he is he's jingling those bells. bells. So I'm <laughs> jingling them bells. Jingling those bells. Look what you did, you little jerk. Check out Snow in Southtown. You won't you regret did. it. And by won't, I mean will. <laughs>